0: Hi, everybody. It's good to be back with you again. And today I have an unusual thing to present to you, a treat, in my opinion. And this is an example of when I feel actually useful in my job. You know, very often I come onto uh, public radio and talk with you about classic operas, the familiar titles. You know, this year, Virginia Opera is staging uh, Tosca and Aida. And those of you who like opera, you know that that's a brand name. (laughs) You trust Puccini, you trust Verdi, you probably have heard this music many times. And uh, so you don't, uh, I might add to your enjoyment and enhance your appreciation, but you already know the story and many of the musical highlights, at least a good portion of those of you who are listening to me, that would be the case. Uh, today I feel useful because I can introduce you to, uh, to a work, a charming, bittersweet romantic comedy that you probably don't know. And so, boy, do I feel useful. Um, if I were to ask you to name some Spanish operas, you would rattle off some titles. Oh, I can hear you now. Carmen, Il Trovatore, The Marriage of Figaro, *Barber of Seville, Don Carlos, and I would say Stop. Because those are operas set in Spain, they are not Spanish operas. That I'm defining as an opera written by a Hispanic composer and sung in Spanish. And those, my friend, are few and far between, hens, teeth, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, there are a few more examples than most chickens have teeth, but you get my point. So um the opera in question is Il Postino by Daniel. Catan it's a fictional story about uh, a, a poor uneducated drifter named Mario uh, who gets a job as a postman il postino uh, and he has a single customer the great Chilean poet Pablo Neruda who is visiting this island on which Mario lives off the coast of Italy and uh, he gets a lot of fan mail from all over the world So uh, Mario has (laughs) the job of bicycling up the hill on which Neruda lives and delivering his mail every day. And it's a coming-of-age and story and character study of this uneducated, unemployed boy who's kind of, as I say, drifting through life who finds his voice and becomes a man. Now, before we get to looking at the music, uh, there's a something you might already be confused about if you know your romance languages. Il postino means the postman, the mailman, but that's an Italian word. And this is billed as a Spanish language opera. So what the heck is going on? The Spanish word for postman is el cartero, but we're using an Italian word. The rest of the opera is all in Spanish. What is going on here? And that's uh, to understand this, you have to know the sources for this opera. Uh, this is an adaptation of a film, which was an adaptation of a novel. The novel came out in 1985. It was called Ardientes, uh, Ardientes Paciencias Burning Patience by the Chilean writer Antonio Scarmeta. And uh, so he is originally contriving this fictional story about his great compatriot, Pablo Neruda. In 1994, uh, the novel was adapted into a film, a very popular Academy Award-winning film called Il Postino, in which the action of the novel was transferred to Italy. I guess to make it more picturesque. It takes place on an island called Cala di Soto, which is... Probably a proxy for the Isle of Capri, for those of you who have been there, a picturesque rock sticking out of the sea. And um, the opera is really an adaptation of the film more than of the novel. So it retains the Italian locale. And why did they choose to keep the Italian title? Well, that's a marketing decision. As I say, the film was quite popular back in its day. You can still see it here and there, you can order it off of Amazon. I think it's been on some of the streaming services at various times, and it's very charming. It's in Italian, and I think that for the name recognition, the composer who was also the librettist decided, you know, we're gonna stick with the name everybody recognizes. Uh, I've been telling my students in the classes I teach on this opera that, you know, if you're gonna write an opera about Harry Potter, you'll probably call it Harry Potter the Opera rather than The Little Boy Who Wore Glasses. So that explains the kind of linguistic confusion. And with that said, let's see what's going on in this opera. Well, there is a prologue. Um, By the way, let me just broach this subject as well. I know opera audiences are different from theater and cinema audiences. You know, my favorite part of going to the movies sometimes is the coming attractions. I like the previews very often more than the movie I came to see. And that's what we like. We like what movies are coming out. We want to see the new ones. There's an insatiable hunger for new movies, even though lots of them seem to be remakes these days. But never mind about that. Uh, The same with uh, Broadway. We get new musicals. What would it be like if the Broadway theaters only did Irving Berlin and George Gershwin musicals? Well, some might sort of cheer that. But uh, we like new things in cinema and in theater. Opera tends to do the same classic ones over and over. And there are some people who are wary of new opera. Why, composers have forgotten how to write melody. Some of you, not all of you, but some of you tell me. I know because I talk to you very often. I'm going to tell you, you'll be relieved. Uh, This music by Daniel Catan is extremely accessible. Uh, you know, no quarter tones, nothing shrill, nothing clashing, nothing dissonant. It's, it's perfect for the kind of charming romantic comedy that it is. Now, uh, the first music you'll hear doesn't really sound like much opera music you've ever heard, but that's okay. Opera can be any kind of music, right? There is a prologue, and we see a politician who is campaigning. There's going to be an election coming up in his district of Italy, and he's visiting all the communities that uh, he wants to reach, including this island, Cala di Soto, and he's uh, brought along some thugs-slash-volunteers with him to try to prevent any protests from coming out because he's not always very popular. His name is Di Cosimo, and you know what politicians do. They make promises, Right. Well, what Kawa de Soto needs is running water. It's a very primitive little fishing community, and they don't have running water. So what's de Cosimo going to do? Oh, vote for me. You'll have running water like Niagara Falls, all the water you can use, and so forth. So here is his campaign jingle, if you uh, please. All right, I know what some of you are thinking. I can hear you. I'm telepathic that way. You're thinking, well, it ain't exactly Tristan und Zolda. Yeah, it was a little... Let's be frank, it was kind of banal, wasn't it? Not too impressive. Well, that means that it's very apt because Di Cosimo is not a very impressive character. He is a sleazy politician who doesn't keep any promises, so it's very appropriate that he gets a very uh, shallow-sounding banal little campaign jingle to sing rather than something that bespeaks earnestness and seriousness of purpose. Well, the uh, curtain comes up now on Act One and the opera proper will begin. And I want to play, there's no overture. There's just about 30 seconds of orchestral music to set the scene. And I want you to listen carefully to this music because it's going to be giving us information. Remember how Tosca started the last time I visited with you? It had those five dramatic, intimidating, uh, malevolent chords, the Scarpia theme. Uh, And that told us a lot about the kind of opera Tosca was going to be. Very action-packed, very dramatic, and so forth. Uh, This little bit of 30 seconds of music will give us three pieces of information. Number one, what's life like on Cala di Soto, on this little fishing community, this little island? Uh, What's the pace of life on the island? Number two, what's the character of our postman, Mario, Mario Roopodo? What kind of a guy is he? And third, what's the character of this opera in general? Listen, think about it, and then I'll share with you my insights. there it is now a lot of information is packed into those little phrases Um, first of all what's life like on the island well do they have traffic jams is there a rat race or is somebody late to their corporate sales meeting (laughs) not so much all there is to do on this island is fish Uh, they go out in their boats they come back with fish and then what do they do they sit out and look at the water,
1: sitting on the dock of the bay, watching the tide roll away. Ooh, and sitting on the dock of the bay, wasting time.
0: No, that's not by Daniel Catown. Come on, you know better than that. But that is it, right? Uh A very slow pace of life. What is Mario like? Don't think about Otis Redding. Think back to that orchestral music. Uh, I would characterize that bit of music this way. It's gentle. It's wistful. Dreamy. Maybe a little melancholy. That's our boy Mario. You know, Mario, why is he unemployed? Well, it's very sad. All there is to do... For a man, Ancala de Soto is fishing. And Mario gets seasick when he's on the water, the poor guy. hes a, Everybody thinks he's a loser. And so he dreams of going to America, but it's not very realistic. He has no money. How's he going to get to America? So he's also a very gentle young man. Uh, inarticulate, he doesn't have much to say. He doesn't have much self-confidence. That's what I hear. And as for the opera in general... It has a gentle, expressive quality. That is the uh, outstanding characteristic as I have gotten to know this score. So there he is. Now, the first aria uh, is given to Pablo Neruda. Uh, Neruda was a guy who was sometimes a hero to his people, but sometimes he had to go into exile because, you know, they would have uh, changes of regime in Chile, and sometimes he was a persona non grata. Uh, so indeed, he did go into exile at one point with his wife, and uh, they went all over the world in this fictional account of his exile. He's on this Italian island, and they're settling into their new digs where they're going to reside for X number of weeks or months or however th- his banishment lasts. And um, he gets the first aria. Now, how do many operas begin? Well, how did Tosca begin? The first solo was given to our hero, Cavaradossi, the tenor. And he sang a love song about his girlfriend, Tosca. Oh, Tosca, as I stand here and paint, my only thoughts are of you. How many operas begin with the tenor singing about declaring his love for a soprano? Well, our last opera is going to begin that way, uh, Aida, that's coming uh, later in the spring, uh, with Radames singing Celeste Aida, Heavenly Aida, about the woman he adores. Uh, Barbara of Seville begins that way. Un balo en maschera begins that way. So many operas. And this one does as well. Pablo Neruda is singing a... Uh, uh, an ode of praise to his wife, Matilda. Now, you know, Pablo Neruda was a great poet. I don't know if you're familiar with his poetry. It's been translated into every language on the planet. Uh, It sold millions of copies. And so what is an aria? An aria, after all, is a poem set to music. So you can guess that many of Neruda's arias are going to be from Pablo Neruda's poetry, or at least excerpts from them, set to music. So this one, I want to read you what he is saying. Uh, This is the English translation of a Neruda poem called Desnudo from uh, his uh, sonnet number 27 from his collection, 100 Love Sonnets. And this is what he's saying to his wife, Matilda. Naked, you are as simple as your hand, smooth, earthy, minimal, round, transparent. You have lines of moonlight, paths of apple. Naked you are like slender, naked wheat. Naked you are blue, like a knight in Cuba. Vines and stars decorate your hair. Naked you are tiny. Naked you are rotund and golden, grandiose, like summer in a golden temple. So this is following that trope. The first solo, the tenor declaring his love for the soprano and Uh, As you listen to this, I think Catan has done a fine job of expressing their relationship, the ardor, the passion, the tenderness, the intimacy, and maybe just a touch of the exotic. See what you think.
1: (laughs) ¶¶ the rest
0: Was again an excerpt from the first solo in Daniel Catán's opera *Il Postino*, uh, *Desnudo*, sung by Pablo Neruda to his wife Matilda. Now I said that that's a trope in opera. Again, the first solo in the opera being a love song from the tenor to the soprano that he loves. So we're following a formula that's familiar, but there's something different about this one. Think about the other examples I, I mentioned when Cabrera Dossi. Uh, opens the uh, opera with the first aria being a love song to Tosca, well, Tosca is the title character. When Radames sings Celeste Aida, Aida is the title character. These are the prima donnas, the women whose uh, journey we're going to be following. The opera is about them. So if you are thinking that the the rules are going to be obeyed here you assume that matilda pablo neruda's wife that she's the main female character that she's the lead soprano role and actually she is a minor character she is on stage very little and has very few lines so that's kind of a curveball and why would that happen why would he why not let mario who is the hero sing a love song about the girl that he's going to pursue a girl named Beatrice well there are a couple of reasons number one Mario uh, this is the story of his finding his voice Mario is uneducated shy lacks confidence unemployed uh a very passive personality, no self-esteem. He's not ready to sing an aria because he has nothing to say. He doesn't even speak to women. He worships them from afar. So he's not aria-ready yet. Um, he's got to find his voice, and then he will have uh, some, more, uh, some more assertive things to sing. But the other reason, again, I think has to do with marketing, as we mentioned about the title. Um, you know... When you have an opera that's gonna come out and it's by a composer who's not a household name, and it's a title that is a world premiere, what's gonna compel people to buy tickets for it? Because again, opera audiences like brand names. Well, the role of Pablo Neruda, and you probably recognized his voice in that excerpt, was created by Placido Domingo, who again at that time was the general manager of the Los Angeles opera that hosted the premiere of the opera. So, you know, you've uh, got—that's the guy. That's the reason people are going to come and buy tickets. There are people who would pay to hear— Placido Domingo stand on a stage and recite the white pages of the Norfolk phone book. So yes, they'll come and see him in a new opera because they trust Domingo. So you're going to let the big dog eat, to use the expression. You're going to give Placido Domingo plenty to sing uh, and get the thing off to a a familiar start in terms of his voice and his artistry. Well, uh, our hapless hero, Mario, Uh, bicycles up the hill every day, drops off the mail, Daruda gives him a tip, and he goes back down the hill. But uh, pretty soon, they start interacting a little bit, and Mario notices that this guy gets lots of mail, and some of the envelopes are perfumed. He gets a lot of love letters because it turns out, you know, chicks dig poetry. Who knew? Uh, Mario is astounded, and, you know, he's thinking, this might be the way that I could get a date maybe I could, you know, learn some of this, like, love poetry that this guy reads. So he starts reading some of Neruda's poetry, but it's way over his head. In the film, there's a charming scene where, you know, uh, Mario comes, uh, he interrupts Don Pablo, who really just wants to be left alone to write and uh, enjoy his solitude, Uh, and he says, "Uh, Don Pablo, I was reading some of your poetry, but I don't understand a lot of it. You know, why do you... Why did you call the sea a tiger, something like that? And Neruda says, well, Mario, that's, you know, poetry. That's a metaphor. A metaphor? What's a metaphor? He just doesn't know anything. So uh, Daniel Catan in his libretto and his adaptation of this film takes that little bit of dialogue from the film and turns it into a duet in which Mario learns about poetic language in a duet called Metaphoras, Metaphors, uh, and really, uh, he's like a freshman student in high school getting his first poetry unit, and his teacher is this celebrity poet, Pablo Neruda, who's trying to explain to him how metaphors work, how poetry works. And Mario is that student that all you teachers dream of. He doesn't he's not the student who looks out the window and passes notes during class. He is he has his eyes open to a whole new world. And here is the ending of this very charming little duet about metaphors, metáforas.
1: irritantes <laughs> Aspic, siambre, mi nardo y viendo la marea tormentas <muchas> rabiosas en oro, el cobre y campanas verdes rojas.
0: And now it's time to meet the woman who is the prima donna, not Matilda, who had that love song sung to her earlier, uh, but the one that our hero Mario is going to pursue, Beatrice. Beatrice. She is a barmaid in the local tavern, um, and Mario stares at her every day. She notices (laughs) she's a little bemused by him. Who is this loser who won't even have the courage to come up and say hello to me? Uh, As we meet her, she is uh, on the job in the local tavern on the island, and she is singing a song just to entertain the customers. Now, this song is kind of interesting. Um, You know, the primary influences in Spanish music were not the European influences that produced the operatic and symphonic tradition in Italy and Germany and France and Austria and elsewhere uh, they are Spain is a close uh, neighbor of Morocco and uh, there are a lot of the traditions in Spanish music are folk traditions you know you think of the guitar and the castanets these are not symphonic orchestral instruments they're folk instruments and uh, there is a uh, an African influence, an Arabian influence, and a Jewish influence in Spanish music. Uh, prior to the Spanish Inquisition in 1492, huh, why does that date sound familiar? Well, never mind. But prior to uh, to that, there was a, a large Sephardic Jewish population in Spain, and uh, traces of that influence still exist. Now, what Uh, Beatrice is going to sing here is a Judeo-Spanish wedding song that dates back to medieval times. And in fact, the text can be traced back to the Song of Songs in the Old Testament. Uh, It is called Moranica, and it's a kind of a folk song. This is Daniel Catan's setting of it. Uh, in which there is a girl who calls herself a moranica, which means that her skin has been darkened by the sun. And in the at the end of this solo here, she says, "If the son of the king calls to me, I will go with him." Uh, Beatrice is a lively young woman. She's full of life. She's very high-spirited, and this is how we meet her. The solo for Beatrice Morenica from Act One of Il Postino by Daniel Catan. Well, uh, now we've met the principals. We have Mario, who worships girls from afar, Beatrice, the object of his affection, Pablo Neruda, who is slowly opening Mario's eyes to the world of poetry and the language, the love language of poetry. So it's time that we get on with a love duet. There are three love duets. I'm going to play you excerpts from a couple of them. And the first one is probably the lamest love duet in all of opera because, friends, Mario has a lot of growing up to do. He's just not very good at this yet. It is pathetic. What he's done is memorize random lines of poetry from Pablo Neruda love poems, and he just walks up to this girl and starts randomly saying them, he doesn't come up and say hi there my name is Mario you know I've always noticed you there in the bar you look like such a nice person I wonder if you'd be interested in having coffee sometime nope he goes up to her with no preamble without introducing himself and says you are blue like a night in Cuba and she kind of goes, excuse me your smile extends over your face like a butterfly well She's bemused. She's a little confused. She, boys don't usually talk to her like this on the island of Cala de Soto. However, there's something about him, just something so wistful and boyishly appealing that she just kind of repeats these phrases after him in sort of wonder. So here is the cheesiest love duet. Poor Mario, you gotta, you gotta become a man, son. como una mariposa like a butterfly um you'll think back to when i played that orchestral music that opens act 1 earlier in this broadcast remember i used the word gentle and i said that that's the character of mario and the character of the opera uh, whatever else you can think about that portion of that first love duet from milpostino the gentleness is what comes through and i my theory is that this is what appeals to Beatrice about this very halting and unconfident and shy attempt to pitch a little woo, uh, the gentleness of this boy. That maybe that's something she doesn't get from the rough-and-tumble fishermen of the island. So uh, there's an, in short order, there will be Love Duet number 2. And this one is a little bit like Romeo and Juliet. She's up in her bedroom. He's down on the street below. You'll hear her call out to her, Beatrice. And he still hasn't increased his repertoire. He's still going with his tried and true phrases. You are blue like a knight in Cuba. Your smile extends over your face like a butterfly. Hey, she seemed interested before. Friends, stop and think before I play this. Can you think of any other uh, stories in which a guy woos a woman with someone else's words? Oh, I know you can. You know all about Cyrano de Bergerac. But there's a more recent example. Many of you saw that film that won the Best Picture Oscar in the most recent Academy Awards, The Green Book. Remember, there was the, the chauffeur who had to uh, drive around the concert pianist on his tour, and he was uneducated and a simple man like Mario, and uh, his wife said, you have to write to me every day while you're away, and he's writing letters that say things like, I had spaghetti, and then and the concert artist says, no, 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 here's what to say. And he dictates these romantic love letters. Well, that's what you've got going here. You've got Mario, who is so, he hasn't found his own voice yet. He's living his life vicariously through the words of Pablo Neruda. But she's starting to like it. Now, what you'll notice in this excerpt from Love Duet Number 2 is that They start singing together. That's key in an opera love duet. When their voices blend, that is a sign that they're starting to be on the same page, that their spirits are uniting, yada, yada, yada. And then I'll tell you what you hear at the very end. was trouble. That was uh, Beatrice's maiden aunt, Donna Rosa, who is not so glad to see this little romance blossoming. She says, you are not going to be hanging out with that unemployed, uneducated loser who doesn't have a nickel to his name. I forbid it. So Mario is going to have a hard road to hoe to get around the opposition of... The, uh, the woman who's obviously Beatrice's guardian. Um, let's go to a more serious moment in this opera. Remember, Pablo Neruda is in exile on the island of Cala de Soto. Uh, he is a Chilean, and he gets a letter from Santiago telling of a terrible thing. There was, a, you know, again, they sometimes had authoritarian regimes in Chile, and that's the case at this point in Chile's history, in this story. And he gets word of a peaceful demonstration back home, that was interrupted by police that killed and slaughtered dozens of peaceful protesters. And uh, Neruda is devastated, and he sings an aria: o "Chile, la sangre de tus, de tus hijos, Chile, the blood of your sons is on your hands," grieving. Now, before I play that because I think that um, our composer Daniel Catan has a particular model in mind for this uh, very compelling and dramatic aria. Um, And that, I think, comes from Verdi's Otello. There is a moment in Otello when there is a monologue for the title character. Otello has swallowed the bait that Iago has laid out for him, uh, making him jealous, making him believe that his wife Desdemona has been unfaithful with Cassio. And so, uh, like Naruda, uh, Othello is devastated. He's at a low ebb. He says, "Dear God, you could have given me any kind of tragedy or, or adversity, but not this." Now he's at the point of suicide. And so here, just the beginning of this "Dio mi poteves callar from uh, Othello. And listen to two things: there is a little curling string motive. That recurs, uh, and uh, going lower each time. Listen for that, and then also listen to the halting, fragmentary vocal line for Otello, as though he can't get his breath and he's gasping in his distress. So here's that excerpt from Otello. <laughs> Now, compare that with uh, Pablo Neruda's aria about the Chile, the blood of your sons, and you'll hear similar features. You'll hear a, a little curling motive in the strings that reminds me of what we just heard, and then again the fragmentary, gasping vocal style of Naruda as he contemplates the disaster back in his native land. <laughs> think you need to have been studying music at a conservatory to hear the connection between those um i'm I'm, we're unable to ask the composer but i imagine if i could have talked with him about it he might have said yes he certainly uh, may have had the monologue from otello in mind as he wrote this monologue for pablo neruda well like um this is basically again a romantic comedy so that Moment of tension and grief is displaced by a happy scene at the end of Act Two. Well, guess what? There was a third love duet for uh, Beatrice and um, Mario that I don't have time to play for you, but he gets more ardent and more passionate all the time. And despite the protestations of the maiden aunt, Donna Rosa, well, there's a wedding reception. He did it. He landed the girl he loved and the tavern has been decorated uh, for a reception. The whole village has turned out. Everybody's celebrating with the exception of Donna Rosa and even the great man himself, Pablo Neruda, who again mostly wants to be left alone. But in honor of this boy who's been bringing him his mail every day and who seems to be so excited about poetry, he has come down and uh, he graciously offers to sing a song to congratulate the wedding couple now this song uh, is by a nicaraguan poet you know it's funny think about to beatrice's aria i told you it was a judeo spanish wedding song from the sephardic jewish tradition in spain and here we have a nicaraguan poet what are these people doing singing these things on in italy well it makes sense with pablo neruda he's uh, hispanic as for the uh, judeo spanish wedding song well It's a little bit of an anachronism. Uh, Daniel Catan wants to not only write an opera in the Spanish language, but to draw on Hispanic sources. So, eh, just don't think about it too much. Now, how many uh, operatic solos have you heard accompanied by accordion? Well, this is one. Here is this wedding song that Neruda sings to the happy couple Mario and Beatrice.
1: esta canción para los
2: novios,
1: para volar más ligero, volar más ligero, ponte dos ojos, dos ojos.
0: And everybody in the tavern gives him a round of applause. Of course, that's uh, not opera music. That is what we call diegetic music uh, in opera, which is when the characters understand that what they're hearing is a performance of a piece of music. And that's uh, maybe a popular song that you might have heard on the radio back in Santiago that he's uh, singing to these people. Uh, By the way, the uh, poem, the, the song is called Para Volar Mas Ligere, It's by the Nicaraguan poet Ruben Dario, uh, who died in 1916. And that's the source of the text for this uh, rather lighthearted song by Pablo Neruda. Now, uh, time moves along. Um, Actually, during the wedding reception, Neruda gets a telegram saying, guess what, there's been a regime change, you can finally come home. It's been several weeks there on the island of Cala de Soto. And uh, so when Act 3 opens up... uh, and matilda are packed they're ready to catch an ocean liner and go back home and uh, mario is a little dejected he's come to worship this guy he's been his teacher his customer his mentor and even kind of a father figure he idolizes pablo neruda he wants to be a poet himself does mario the trouble is when he sits down at a table with pencil and paper he can't think of anything because he still has not found himself. Well, they, they, they say their goodbyes. Um, uh, you know, uh, Neruda says, Mario, watch over these things that I don't. I can't take with me right now. I'll send for them later. And Mario says, well, maybe I could deliver them in person, Don Pablo. Maybe I could come and visit you in your homeland the way you've been to my homeland. Could Maybe I could come to Chile and see you there. And Neruda says, yeah, that'd be great. Pretty much like that. And uh, will you write to me, Don Pablo? Sure. Absolutely. Let's keep in touch. Well, time passes. Uh, Beatrice is expecting a little baby. Mario hopes it's a son. He wants to name him Pablito uh, in honor of his hero. And one day, months later, there comes a letter From Chile, addressed to Mario Ruopolo. It's from Pablo Neruda. Oh, he's so excited. His hands are shaking. He can hardly open the envelope. And what it says is, uh, to whom it may concern, please find postage and an address for shipping the remaining uh, possessions of the uh, Pablo Neruda to his home in Santiago. Uh, Please wire his personal secretary if you have any questions. Uh, Kindest regards, Executive Secretary for Pablo Neruda. Well, he's crushed. Apparently, Neruda doesn't care about him after all. Apparently, he was just a mailman to this guy. Now, even Donna Rosa is outraged, and Beatrice is outraged. His friends are outraged. How could he forget? After all you did for him, how could he be so impersonal and cruel like that? Not to include something personal and good wishes for you. And this is where we have my favorite moment in the opera, because Mario is crushed. There is, you know, all of his illusions of a warm rapport with this great poet are just popped like a balloon. And his self-confidence, he feels like nothing. And he says to his friends, no, no, don't be angry, it's okay, I mean, why should he remember me? I'm nothing. I'm not a poet, what did I ever write? I've written nothing. I wasn't even a very good mailman. I'm not even a very good man. I, there's no reason. It's, it's totally natural. Don't, don't even give it a second thought. Tomorrow, we'll ship the rest of his things, and that'll be the end of it. Now, the composer's job at a moment like this in an opera is not to simply come up with a nice melody that you will enjoy. His objective is to set those words to music in a way that allows you to feel Mario's pain. You have to feel that pain inside your own body. And what you want is for the composer to hit a home run, to hit the ball over the fence, and perfectly capture music that lets you empathize with the crushing disappointment of this young boy. And I think he's done a pretty good job. Here is that moment.
1: ai che da
0: And once again, and I think that that's very sensitively handled. Uh, it's a good opportunity for the for the tenor playing Mario to really uh, uh, to bring that lump in the throat that we all like when we go to the uh, to see an opera. Um, the word gentle, I keep coming back to this word. Uh, his love duets, that first one, there was a gentleness in the uh, orchestral. Treatment at the beginning of Act One, a gentle description of life on this island. And again, his sadness here has a gentleness. It's not ripping his clothes and crying out in agony, it's, it's a gentle melancholy. That's okay. That's how life goes. Well, I've got one more uh, excerpt to play for you from Daniel Catan's Il Postino, The Postman. And it takes place in the final scene, and we have to set it up a little bit because time passes. In fact, a few years pass. Um, In the final scene, Don Pablo and Matilda come back to Cala de Soto. They're obviously on their way to someplace else like Florence or Rome, but they've decided to stop off on the island where they spent those happy times during his exile years ago. And they uh, find themselves in the tavern, and there's Beatrice, and there's little Pablito, a little boy about four years old, running around chasing a ball. Oh, where's Mario? And Beatrice explains that Mario passed away. And here's what happens. And we see, we get the story of his death told in flashback. Beatrice tells the, the the poet and his wife, what happened to her husband as we see it being reenacted uh, behind us with a combination of uh, action on the stage and uh, projected videos. Well, it turns out that Pablo Neruda's impersonal cruelty to... Um, uh, to Mario in having obviously kind of forgotten about him and not having kept up a warm relationship may have been a blessing in disguise because it means that Mario had to let go of living his life vicariously through the man he once worshipped, Pablo Neruda. He has to grow up. It's his coming of age. He has to find his own way to live life instead of just trying to be like Neruda. And what happens is we find out that, remember Di Cosimo, that sleazy politician whose campaign jingle opened uh, our excerpts uh, several minutes ago? Well, uh, Di Cosimo won the election. And he shows up on the island with a crew and a bunch of water pipes, and he dumps them on the ground, and he says, Well, I'll be back, and he never comes back. Typical politician, doesn't keep his promises. And Mario is outraged, and what happens to Mario is that he becomes angry about the injustice and corruption that he sees in government around him. Sort of like Pablo Neruda was uh, angered and irate about the injustice uh, back in Chile in that grief-stricken aria that I played a while ago. So Pablo, uh, Pablo. Mario becomes an activist. And this, when he finds the, the cause that he cares about he is finds that he does have a voice, that he can think of things to say, and he writes a poem. And he's been invited to read this poem at a protest demonstration somewhere in Italy. And as Beatrice describes the scene, and we see it played out in flashback, he's introduced to a crowd, he gets up on the podium, and he's going to recite this poem of protest when police descend and there's shooting and we see Mario fall and we learn that he passed away with it ever before his son was even born never got to see his son now Pablo Neruda is devastated and Beatrice hands him a letter. Here she says he wrote you this letter he wanted you to have it in case we saw you again so this final excerpt becomes kind of a duet for the voice of Mario, speaking from the grave, and Neruda as he reads it aloud. And this is what Mario is saying. Dearest Don Pablo, it's me, Mario. I hope you still remember me. Don Pablo, I want to tell you, I've written a poem, but you can't hear it because I'm embarrassed. I've been asked to read it in public. It's about the sea, the sea you taught me to love, the sea of Italy. It's dedicated to you, Don Pablo, from your friend Mario. It's a song. Don Pablo, if you hadn't come into my life, I would never have written it. It's for you. And if my voice trembles, it's the sea's gentle tears. Did you see what... Mario has done there, what Daniel Catan has done there in the libretto. What's the last adjective that you hear? The adjective that describes Mario, that describes Cala de Soto, and that describes this opera, Gentle. And what did Mario do there? It's the tears of the sea. That's a metaphor. He became a poet, but with his own voice. So here, with Mario and then Pablo Neruda joining him, is this bittersweet ending to a gentle, bittersweet
1: opera. (laughs)
0: this opera have legs as they say will it be heard in 20 years from now 50 years from now will they be doing il postino by daniel catana 100 years from now the way we do tosca i don't know nobody knows but this i tell you this opera has a musical score and a charming bittersweet story in which the music allows you to become invested in the characters. You will find that you care about them. You will laugh at Mario's naivete. I didn't get to show you very much of the comic uh, aspects of this piece because that's a little hard to do with musical excerpts, but he is so naive and so clueless at the beginning that you will laugh, you, you will chuckle, uh, you will get a lump in your throat. You will care about these characters because the, uh, the music uh, is so apt at characterizing uh, their personalities in a very lifelike and vivid way. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Don't worry about a 100 years from now. I want to see you at the Opera House this coming Friday. And if you do, if you decide that maybe you are interested in a new opera after all, then I commend you and uh, hope you'll come up and say hello. So we'll see you at the opera.